As I was uh, praying and thinking about uh, gathering together this morning, uh, even last night, I just uh, felt a strong sense from the from the Holy Spirit that there would be somebody here today with a just a great heaviness on your life, just pressing in on you like a like a weight on your chest, making it hard to breathe spiritually but almost even physically and I, I don't know who you are and there may be more than one of us like that today and I felt a sense that uh, there's something to the Lord really wants to speak into our lives today beyond the routine and we need the Holy Spirit to come and captivate our hearts and our minds and our attention and not be distracted today but hear the word of the Lord would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father, I, I give you praise and uh, the honor and glory that you alone are due as we gather in this place today. And we, we thank you that we can come here in the, in the mighty and the strong name of Jesus and worship you freely today. And Lord, as we gather today, we know that the enemy wants to distract us and, and to defeat us. That he would love for us to just simply... Uh, sit through here for about an hour and listen to a little music maybe maybe uh, scribble a little bit on some notes or maybe look at our phone for a little bit or just just kind of be here but you want something more for us today and i pray that you would awaken us to the truth of your word to the power of your your grace and I pray that you would lift the spirit of heaviness off those that come here defeated and discouraged and over, overstraught with worries today. Lift our eyes, literally and spiritually, to you today, Lord. Help us to lift up Jesus Christ that we might all be drawn to him. We might all magnify and glorify him. And for those of us, Lord, that are just uncertain about this whole thing, this whole life of being a Christian of following Christ and for any here today that haven't made that step and that choice Lord I pray for all of us today would be today of victory and freedom and peace in Christ Lord we thank you so much for your mercy for your grace your goodness and we resolve today as the people of God that we will give you praise and we will bless your name and we'll do this in the strong and the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. It's funny to think about it now. It wasn't that long ago. But when I was younger, when I was a kid, I used to run. I used to run everywhere. There's something in me. I wouldn't stop. I ran to my parents, I ran to my bed, I just ran. And I think, I think we're all sort of like that. We're all on fire for life, with no responsibilities, just living and excited to get places. And, and then at some point, I stopped. We all stopped. We just started walking. We started coping getting comfortable, getting content. We were no longer on fire. We were no longer passionate. There was no longer the burning desire in our hearts 
but we kept walking, fitting in. And you could call it whatever you want, proper, easy, normal, but it all just seemed so boring. Is this what it was about? But maybe we need to get passionate again. Maybe life isn't about being comfortable or content or making it easy. Maybe we were supposed to be different and be passionate, not lukewarm. Maybe instead of walking around and being normal, we are supposed to be radical. Maybe we're supposed to run. continue on our road trip through the word and uh, we're spending a few weeks here in the, the letters that the apostle Paul wrote. I want to remind you that the words that you heard earlier are uh, words that he wrote while he was in a prison cell and that gives some perspective. I want you to hear those words again from Philippians chapter 3 except now I want you to hear them from the message uh, version of the Bible. It says this, uh, the very credentials these people are waving around as something special, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash. And Paul's writing there about his very strict, uh, strong religious background of which he formerly took great pride in. And he says, along with everything else I used to take credit for, and why? Because of Jesus Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. In fact, he said, it's dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ. God's righteousness. I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally, experience His resurrection power, be a partner in His suffering, and go all the way with Him to death itself. If there was any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it. I'm not saying that I have all this together, that I have it made, but I'm well on my way. Reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this. But I've got my eye on the goal. Where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running. And I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it. And now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. Stick with me, friends. Keep track of those you see running this same course, headed for this same goal. There are many out there taking other paths, choosing other goals, and trying to get you to go along with them. I've warned you of them many times, and sadly, I'm having to do it again. 
All they want is Easy Street. They hate Christ's cross. But Easy Street is a dead-end street. And those who live there make their bellies their gods, belches their praise. All they can think of is their appetites. But there's far more to life for us. We're citizens of high heaven. We're waiting the arrival of the Savior, the Master Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like His own. And He'll make us beautiful and whole with the same powerful skill by which He is putting everything as it should be, under and around Him. Paul's passionate, stirring words that I remind you he wrote from prison they raise some very strong questions for us to consider today. And the first one is this. Are you passionately, big emphasis on that word, are you passionately running the race? Now the race, uh, several times in Paul's letters and maybe even a couple other places from, from other writers of Scripture, the race is a metaphor, a metaphor for following Christ for being a Christian, for living a Christian life, a Christ-following, Christ-honoring life, a race. And what we hear today from Paul is that this is more than just that you have believed some propositional statements about God. What do I mean by propositional statements? All things we should believe, like God created the heavens and the earth, there is only one God, and we know Him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Believing that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that He was born of a virgin, that He came to earth and, and taught and healed and showed us how to live, and gave His life as a sacrificial death for all our sin, and that by the power of God He was raised from the dead, and that He will return again. Those are propositional statements that we should believe, but Paul is saying it's something more than just believing certain statements. And it's more than just religious observance. It's more than keeping a few rules. It's more than just regular church attendance. He said, I wanted something beyond the inferior thing that comes from keeping a list of rules. He said, I wanted the robust kind of righteousness. And so the question that follows up, that's a, that goes along with, are you passionately running the race? Another way of asking that is, is this what you're giving your life to? Is Christ what you're giving your life to and for? Um, a lot of you know that I, that I like a lot of, I don't know, I just have a lot of trivial knowledge, quote songs, quote movies. Um, no dates and names of stuff that it just really doesn't matter at all um, in, in this great scheme of things. It uh, won't help me get into heaven. Probably won't make any eternal difference in anybody's life. But, you know, I love the, the early, the, er, the movie in the early 90s that uh, Billy Crystal had called City Slickers. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a scene in City Slickers where Billy Crystal, who's playing a guy named Mitch, who's in his late 30s, and he's kind of going through an early midlife crisis and heads out with his buddies looking for inspiration and meaning or whatever. And they end up using their vacation to go on a real cattle drive out in the Wild West, you know, a modern-day cattle drive. 
And, um, you know, from New York and, you know, out there learning to ride horses and follow the cattle and kind of getting settled into it. And the, and the, the, the trail boss, the trail boss is, uh, is Jack Palance, who died, a, I don't know, a year or two ago, maybe more than that, a, a real crusty old guy. And in this movie, he plays a real crusty old cowboy trail boss named Curly. And Mitch and Curly are riding their horses along in kind of a semi-desert following the, the cattle. And it's kind of a relaxed uh, time. The cattle are just strolling along, and they're following. And, and uh, Billy Crystal's got his Mets cap on, and, and Jack Palance Curly's got the big black cowboy hat and the red scarf, and he's got a cigarette, you know, about half-smoked, hanging from his mouth. And he's got that skill that some smokers have where they can just talk and never touch that cigarette and smoke it the whole time, you know. He's got that going on and got the voice like this, you know. And uh, they're, they're having this big, long discussion, and finally Curly just looks at him and goes, do you, do you know what the secret of life is? And he holds up his finger. And Mitch goes, your finger? He goes, one thing. Just one thing. You stick to that, and the rest don't mean something. And Mitch says, but what is that one thing? Curly says, that's what you have to find out. There was a, a famous uh, English uh, artist, a sculptor, who has um, stuff all over the world, but especially in Europe, and his name was Henry Moore. Um, and it's the kind of, kind of art that I just don't quite uh, get. Um, you know, there's, I'm not a great abstract thinking kind of, kind of person. And uh, so, I mean, I appreciate the Statue of Liberty more than I do something that you can't quite make out what it is anyway. So, uh, but he, he sculpted a lot of that kind of stuff that's greatly appreciated uh, around the world. And he was asked one time in an interview he, uh, late in his life, the, the interviewer said, now that you're 80, you must know what the secret of life is. So tell us, what is it? And Henry Moore paused for a moment, and then with, uh, the interview said, with just enough time to smile before answering, he said, the secret of life is to have a task, something you do your entire life something you bring everything to, every minute of the day for your whole life. And the most important thing is, it must be something you cannot possibly do. I don't know if you connect the dots there, but Paul discovered that that one thing, that one thing was this, and we read about it there. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things, I've already achieved perfection, but I press on to possess that for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Paul says, I know I'm never going to get there on my own strength. And I know I'm never going to get to a place where I can say I'm perfect, I'm flawless, but I'm pursuing Christ because he's possessed me. And if I'm going to accomplish anything, it's going to be through him. Now, we get pretty messed up quickly in, in the church 
it seems especially, and in, 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 in larger society as well, with the word perfection. Anytime we connect perfection with a human being, uh, other than my granddaughter, we just, we get all messed up, okay? We just get confused. And, and we, we always be, want to be very, very quick to say, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Yeah, I killed the guy, but nobody's perfect. I mean, that's, that's our society. The word perfection can throw us off, and, and I want you to understand that in this passage of Scripture, and very often when you see that, that word in any of your Scripture translations, it means maturity. It means purpose. It means complete. Paul knew that he had not reached it, but he was passionately following the only one who has. And that was what defined his life. Christ was his goal. So I want to ask you another big question today. Are you constantly looking over your shoulder? Or are you focused on the goal? Now, I don't know if Paul was an athlete. But he wrote with an imagery and mindset that was athletic in this passage and in a few others. And, and he knew that, that when you run a race, you've got to look forward, not behind you, if you're going to be successful. He knew that to be true. That's why he said in, in Philippians 3, verse 13, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. He's talking about running, about living with a, with a single-mindedness that says, I'm going to lay anything aside that's harmful, that's distracting, that doesn't honor God, Anything that's going to hold me back from being who I should be in Christ. I'm going to give, as far as is possible with me, by the grace of God, I'm going to give all my energy to this one goal. There's a young lady um, in Minnesota uh, who attended the University of Minnesota a few years ago on a, on a track scholarship. Her name is Heather Dornadin. She was a, a middle distance runner, and uh, she was successful. Uh, she did well in the Big Ten Conference and, and even in some national races as a middle distance runner, you know, running 600, 800 um, meter races, maybe even 1,500. She was a, a good student, uh, a kinesiology major, and, and a great outlook and attitude. And uh, as I said, she was a successful runner, but she ran a race in, I think it was 2006, in the Big Ten Indoor Track Championships that became the defining race of her life. And I want you to watch this race with me. The 600-meter underway, Heather Donald in Minnesota finished Heather's second the one, uh, Heather's the one highlighted. Kind of with the glow around her in this race, so you can keep track of it. This is the first lap. She's running a, in third, a real comfortable spot for her right now. In the two years. Three laps. 
There she is, second place. She's right where she wants to be. Real comfortable pace. And the Penn State runner is just running amazing today. She did win her heat in the 400, but ended up taking fourth overall. She was the favorite to win. Moving into the lead, a sophomore from Penn State. Dornadin running second. Dornadin last year scored 23 points for the Golden Gophers in their Big Ten Championship. So now she decides it's time for her to step her on out and take the lead. She's just coming by Fondor now in the and we'll see what happens. Dornadin falling down gets up quickly, but that's going to cost her. Lucky she wasn't injured. This is the last her lap. Her teammate just went to the front, though, so they may be able to recover from that. You can see the distance is just... Uh, and Dornan is flying That's down the back. That's going to be too great to overcome. She is going to catch indoor track shorter than an outdoor track. Wow. She's got fun. This is a gutsy effort. She should have just jogged. She's moving to third. Trying to get, but she didn't settle for that. Dornan coming on strong. Dornan, you're all the way. Dornan, Is amazing to, to fall in a 600. I mean, this is basically a sprint. I mean, this is an extended 400, basically. If to fall with 200 meters to go and get up and win, that is unbelievable. What if she'd have just said, I've fallen? I'm down. There's just, I mean, yeah, maybe get up and jog around the finish line, get a few cursory applause and admire that. But she just immediately forgot that. Are, are you ready today to forget the past? You can take that off. Are you ready today to forget the past? Good and bad. What do you mean forget the good? Oh, I mean in the sense of you're not living in the past. None of us spiritually have the right to do that. None of us spiritually speaking, are called to live even in the good of the past. Oh, it's great to thank God for what's, what He's done, but we don't stay there. And none of us should want to live in the negative of our past, to just wallow it and stay there, but instead to get up and look ahead. Leave the accomplishments, leave the failures, leave the vices, leave the virtues, in a sense, leave all of it behind to focus on giving our all to Jesus this day. And it's incredible what he will do with anyone who offers that. Heather Dornadon said later, she said that last 50 meters of that race, she said, I hit a gear that I never knew I had. She said it was completely unexplainable. She said, honestly, it was just like the Lord filled me up and gave me an opportunity to show what amazing things we can do through Him. Are you constantly looking over your shoulder or are you focused forward on the goal? And if you're focused on the goal, let's just, what is the goal? What is your goal? Reminder of what Paul said again in Philippians 3, 14. He said, I press on to reach the end of the race 
and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Also, the goal is heaven. Yes and no. You mean you don't want to go to heaven? Oh, I absolutely do. Mark me down as voting yes for wanting to spend eternity in heaven. And that is part of the goal, but do you not see what Paul, Paul said before that back further when he said, I want to know Christ today and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead today, not, not someday yonder, today. And if that includes suffering with him or for him, bring it. Just so anyway, however it takes place, whatever shape my life looks like, wherever God puts me, wherever he takes me, wherever he leads me, one way or another, I want to know his great power today in my life and experience that. That goal was consuming for him. And I want you to hear today that this kind of goal is far from selfish. It's selfless. It'll bring about in us what is best, not just for us, not just for me, but for others. And we need that. We must have that kind of goal. And the need for a goal was, has been very prominent in a lot of things in history. Um, when I was young, I read a, a biography of Winston Churchill, the uh, prime minister of, of Great Britain during the critical days of World War II. And I recall this moment from his life when, um, when England was in just the heavy midst of being attacked by Germany and, and, um, and really we hadn't fully kicked in our, uh, our uh, support and, and troops and all of that yet. And one of the great things that England needed in that moment was the increased production of coal. You know, in order to, in order to, to arm an army and, and fight uh, battles, you've got to have lots of, lots of equipment, lots of things, and lots of energy, and, and coal was a primary source of that. And so the prime minister called a meeting of, of uh, political leaders to give them the facts and, and to enlist their support in in, in his unique way, with using his imagination and his ability to make a great speech. And he closed his presentation to them to ask them to picture in their minds a parade, a great parade that would happen when the war was over and it would take them through the Piccadilly Circus there in London. And he began to describe to them and say, there will come the Royal Navy, whom everyone around will know kept the sea lanes open. And then we'll pass our great soldiers of the army who've come home from Dunkirk and then gone on to defeat Rommel in Africa and fight under Montgomery in Berlin. And he said there would come the Air Force who would drive the Luftwaffe out of the sky and, and beat them at their own game. And then he said, last of all in that great parade, there'll come a great host of sweat-stained, black-suit-streaked faces of coal miners. And someone from the crowd would cry out, Where were you? 
and from 10,000 throats would come the answer. We were deep in the earth with our faces against the coal. And then Winston Churchill sat down to a wild cheer of all those leaders. He'd shown the purpose, the goal that everybody needed to achieve a great victory. And if you really want to have the greatest victory in your life, the greatest success, and if you want to have eternal life and success, then your goal has got to be Jesus Christ and following Him. So let me ask you this question, and we'll connect it to Paul's writing. Can you tell others they should follow you? Can you tell others they should follow you? Look what Paul says in Philippians 3.17. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. Wow. Does that sound arrogant? I mean, I, I don't know. It, that's, that's strong, isn't it? Is it, it, it? Doesn't that not strike anybody else as pretty bold? What if the first thing I'd have said today was to stand up and say, Houston First Church, friends, pattern your life after me. Now that may not be the tone. I don't believe that was the tone Paul was writing, but can you, t can you listen to that? Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn, he says, from those, there are others, who follow our example. Man, that's a statement. You know, I don't believe Paul said it with any arrogance at all. If you remember last week, we talked about the words that he wrote to the young man Timothy when he said to Timothy, Timothy, I am the worst of sinners. But Christ died for me. He caught that He'd caught that grace, he'd caught that mercy, and now he'd chosen to give his life completely to follow in Christ, the one who had forgiven him, the one who transformed him, who changed him. And he was able to say, not by his own strength or wisdom or greatness, but by the power of God in his life to say to others, if you follow me, I'm not perfect. I haven't made it all the way, but if you follow me, I will lead you forward toward Christ. I will point you in the right direction. Pure and simple, he was saying, if you watch my life, that's where it will point. What about it? Can you say that? I don't mean arrogantly, arrogantly to go out of here and say to somebody, hey, you, you need to be like me. But to say to somebody, if you, if you follow me around, if you watch how I live, the direction you'll be looking is to Jesus. 
That's where my life will point you. My words, my actions, you'll see it. That's only going to be accomplished if you're passionately running the race, I believe. You know, the uh, ladies in my house are trying to uh, eat and drink a little in a little more healthy fashion. Something that happens. Um, oh well, let's let's see. Um, I discern the Spirit speaking to me to say something different than what I was going to say. So I, I I appreciate that. I admire that. And um, I was looking in the refrigerator last night, and. Uh, there's a lot of Diet Dr. Pepper in there and some Coke Zero and some Diet Coke and those are all beverages that I enjoy and probably drink more than I should. I started drinking diet drinks about four years ago and traded in the old stuff. But anyway, I, I was thinking, man, you know, I, I maybe really ought to not drink as much of the stuff as I do. And, and maybe it's true what they say about all these artificial sweeteners. And uh, they start, you know, you start losing your mind and all that stuff. But um, so I was looking at these two big bottles of juice that we bought at a grocery store. And one of them says blueberry pomegranate, 100% juice, all natural. And I thought, well, you know, just try it. Just try it. Maybe... You know, maybe it's, it's pretty good. And there was, on this bottle, it's very colorful. There's this picture of a ripe pomegranate, and it's exotic, and, you know, it's got glistening seeds, um, you know, off of it. And, and then these perfect, you know, round blueberries, and very colorful, very bright. But before I was going to take a drink of it, I thought, eh, it's just, there's certain fruit flavors that I can handle and others that you know I'm not so sure about so I you know got my glasses and and I looked at the fine print on the back of that bottle and this was the ingredients list that that, that I saw filtered water pear juice concentrate apple juice concentrate grape juice concentrate so far nothing about blueberries or pomegranates so I keep reading down, and finally, finally, I see, see those words, seventh and ninth on the list of ingredients, specific ingredients, because it was followed by mysteriously unspecified natural flavors. That was that ended up. Now, my understanding is that the Food and Drug Administration um, requires you to list um, in descending order of weight, the contents that go into our food. So, in other words, what the you know what the the most, the heaviest ingredient gets listed first. And that that means a product contains the greatest proportion of the first ingredient on the list, and successively less of those, you know, farther down. So, according to this list, that big jug in my hand held mostly water and other juices with just enough blueberry and pomegranate for whatever distinct flavor that brings and, and color. And, you know, in the, in, the, in the bottom corner of the front label, um, and easy to miss, 
type, th there were these words, flavored juice blend with other natural ingredients. And all, you know, again, I said all the enticing pictures and all of that. So you know what I did? I got a glass out, and I poured a little bit into a glass, and I took a, a couple of good swigs of, of that. Tasted like a, mm, like a real cheap wedding punch or something. Not that I've had any of that recently, I promise. Um, and this is coming from somebody who does not have a, you know, fruit is not the first thing I crave when I get up in the morning. So um, they don't make, I don't think there's a fruit called gravy. So um, all that silliness about that juice brings up this. What if I had ingredients an ingredients list printed on me. I wonder if the first ingredient that would be seen would be Jesus. If not, how far down the list would he be? Would the, would the label on my life represent my contents? Would or, or would, would it somehow project kind of a misleading outward appearance that kind of masked cleverly who I really am and what my life's all about? You know, I don't want my life, and I don't believe you want yours, to have nice packaging but there to not be any real substance underneath. I don't think we want our lives to look and sound like one thing, but really be another. And if somebody came looking at my life and looked under the Christian label and saw me, I hope it would mean that they would see somebody who wasn't just Jesus flavored, but Jesus filled. And listen, people need direction. I saw that video that I showed you on YouTube, and it's one of those, those moments where, you know, you, if you start watching one YouTube video, I mean, it can spiral just, you know, next thing you know, man, this is the next day. How, did I stay here? No, it wasn't that long, but... I mean, there's a lot of, that, you pull that race up, there's lots of races. And a lot of the races don't end well. And one of those that I saw was a, a marathon over in Japan where there's four runners way out ahead of the pack, and they're running down a downtown city street, and you can tell they're nearing the finish line, and one guy breaks free from the pack and moves ahead, and just like 100, 200 yards from the finish line, he suddenly starts turning right on a different street. Somehow in his mind, the finish line's over there. And he makes a, a turn and starts heading that way, and all the other runners keep going. And he tries to run back and catch up, but he didn't catch up and win. He somehow got off the path. And Paul says, hey, there's plenty of people that are way off the path. And they'll try to lead you there if you let them. And where they're headed when they get on that wrong path is destruction. Destruction now and later, the Scripture tells us. 
And he's saying, instead, you need to be able to say to them, watch my life. And I'll lead you in the right direction. Oh, I want to do that. Here's the final thing to say to you today, and it's not a question. Paul concludes by telling us clearly that hope is what's ahead of us if we look to Christ. Verses 20 and 21, he says, We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we're eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. And he'll take our weak mortal bodies, change them into glorious bodies, that's good news, like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. When Paul wrote these words, he was probably about 60 years old. And when he wrote these words at that age, he wasn't saying, hey folks, I'm coasting in. I'm just going, I've done a whole lot, achieved a whole lot, started a whole lot. I'm just going to kind of coast into heaven. We'll let the young people handle it. We'll let the, the ones coming behind me, the fresh ones. He said, no, I'm, I'm still all out in this. For me, this is still an all-out pursuit of Jesus, and I want to bring others with me to the finish line. And he says the finish line for citizens of heaven is a glorious thing. It just makes me think, I ought to ask today, have, have you transferred your citizenship to heaven? Have you made that choice? And if you say you have, are you living like that? Are you pursuing and promoting the interests that lead and point and promote Jesus Christ. The very first verse of chapter 4, and you've got to remember Paul wasn't writing in chapters. He was writing a letter to people he cared about. We've divided things up into chapters just to help us keep track. Beginning in chapter 4, he said this, and this is my prayer for, for you today. He said, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and crown that I receive for my work. My prayer for, for you today, my brothers and sisters, is that you'll stay true to the Lord. Lord, I pray for all of us here today and for those that I have the great privilege of calling my brothers and sisters gathered in this place today. And I pray, Lord, that we would stay true to you and recognize that mere religion is not going to be enough for that. We really need to just give you our hearts completely and realize that life was meant to be lived passionately for Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for the person that's here today that has, has not made the decision to follow you, has not made that choice, has not taken that step of faith, and has not, has not said, I'm willing to leave the other things behind and turn to you. I confess 
my sin and my need for you, and I turn to you, Lord, and I will begin to go in your direction. Pray that you'd speak to them even now. And Lord, I pray for the many of us who would say, yes, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. You can say I'm running the race. If that's the case, Lord, then I pray that you would renew and awaken the passion within us to run all out in that race, to hold nothing back, to give ourselves completely and fully to you, to where we could, not in any kind of arrogant, self-promoting way, but we could, we could live our lives in such a way by your grace and your power that we could tell people if, if you watch my life you'll see some flaws but I promise you you'll see me headed in the right direction and I'd love for you to come with me Lord I thank you for the, the opportunity to know you and worship you and to run the race to you and I pray that you'll help us all to do that. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. As you go this morning, if you're a guest with us, we're very glad that you chose to spend your morning with us. And uh, if you would, please stop by the Welcome Center. It's in the lobby right behind the sound booth. We have a couple of gifts we'd love to give you that would help you uh, maybe learn what this race is that pastors talked about and pursue the race, to be in the race, uh, to be strong and victorious in the race. We'd love to get those to you. And then also make sure you stop and uh, register your kids for Vacation Bible Extreme. It is just around the corner. And if you haven't signed up to help, you can do that as well in the lobby as you leave. Uh, go and run the race faithfully.